Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Isaiah chapter 52, we will finish the thought that we began last week. It was my intent to teach what I'm going to teach tonight at the end of last week, and after going nearly an hour on the first part of chapter 51, or all of chapter 51, we didn't get to chapter 52, so, so we'll, we'll save, it'll actually kind of work out cool as we get into chapter 53 next week, and then head into the Passion Week from there, so uh, that, that'll work out pretty cool, so let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you. I I appreciate the song, the creed. Lord, just helps us to sing exactly what we believe. And we do believe, Father, that you sent your son to die on our behalf, but death didn't hold him down. The grave is empty. Uh, Death is defeated. We believe in the resurrection. And as Christ has rose, we too one day will rise unto eternal eternal life, Father. And we thank you for that. And Father, just as we... um, read through your word tonight, I do pray that we would see the love that you have for us, Lord, in that before the foundation of the earth was laid, you had a plan to send your son to redeem us. Uh, What a glorious thought. And we thank you. I just pray you'd help me to rightly divide your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we kind of began to answer, as we started with chapter 51, we began to answer the question of the captive person in Babylon. Now remember, As we're reading chapter 51, chapter 52, chapter 53, we're ascending the mount of, you call it Messiah Mount if you want, where it's this grand picture of the Messiah who is to come. And all of it, as Isaiah is writing, is prophetic. We, in the the historical timeline, where the nation of Israel is, is they are somewhere around where Assyria is taking them captive. So Babylon, as they're writing this, as Isaiah is writing this, Babylon isn't even a blip on the map yet. And they're going to rise to power. They come in after the Assyrians. They do take the nation of Israel captive. That's the story we read about in books like Nehemiah and Ezra. Um, and so, um, but that, that's still, you know, so as Isaiah is writing, that's still prophetic. And what Isaiah is writing about is how Babylon is going to fall. Well, For the Israelite, the Jewish man or woman who was taken captive and held in Babylon, Babylon was such a fortress and and the the nation was such a stronghold that it would have been easy for them to lose all hope. They would have lost sight of any possibility of rescuing. As they looked at the fortress that the city of Babylon was, they would have said, Ain't nobody going to come and rescue us. We're just, we're, we'll be captives forever because nobody's going to upset this. Little did they know, God said, well, you know, I, it doesn't affect me. And, and they would be, Babylon would fall in one night through this man named Cyrus. And, and, and so that's a lot of what the prophecy is about. And as Cyrus was the deliverer for the nation of Israel from their captivity in Babylon, we then take those prophecies and we apply them to Jesus Christ as he is our deliverer, not from captivity of Babylon, but from captivity of sin. 
And so the prophecies given in the book of Isaiah have both a near fulfillment in the man, in the man Cyrus and in a far fulfillment in the man Jesus Christ. Make sense? So that's, what we're, that's the backdrop of where we're at. And we're looking at, at, at this rise of who Cyrus was going to be, but also who ultimately who Jesus Christ was going to be. So let's pick it up. Chapter 52, verse 1. It says, awake, awake. So no sleeping tonight, people. <laughs> awake, awake. And this is actually the third awake, awake. He said, listen three times throughout, the, throughout chapter one. He's trying to get our attention. And then he says, after the listen, he says, wake up three times. And this is the third of those three times. Uh, and so he, he's making sure, hey, do I have your attention? Are you captivated by me and what I'm saying? Pay attention. And so now he says, awake, awake a third time. And then he says, put on your strength, O Zion. Zion is the city of David. It's Jerusalem ultimately fulfilled in when Jesus is reigning from Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. What does the word holy mean again? Set apart. The one that is set apart. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. So this is an interesting prophecy to say, okay, God is speaking about the city of Jerusalem, and, and it's, he's telling the city, in fact, to wake up, to, to come awake and come alive, alive. Why was he saying that? Well, you consider Israel is captive in Babylon, then the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, was overtaken by nomads and by the uncircumcised and the unclean. Other vagrants and, and, and the Gentile world had moved into the city of Jerusalem while they were taken captive. Now, there was a small remnant of Israel, Israel uh, Hebrew people there, but primarily it was just a, a bunch of people. And so God is saying, hey, you need to wake up because your people are coming home to you, city. Uh, there's a day coming. Put on your strength. You're set apart. He's reminding the city. He's reminding the people that I've called you. I selected Israel. I selected Abraham. I chose him and pulled him out of Ur of the Chaldees and, and, and made him a people. I, I, he, there weren't Hebrews before I made Abraham one. And, and, I, and I brought you into the promised land, and I made Jerusalem your capital. And, and you're going you're gonna go home. Yes, you're captive at the moment, but you're going to go home to that. And so he, he's telling the city, put on your strength. What, what is the strength of the city of Jerusalem? What is the strength of the Hebrew people? What is our strength? When God tells us to put on our strength, what is our strength? It's Him, right? Power is perfected in weakness. It's, we don't have strength of our, our, you know, our strength fails. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, we read back in Isaiah chapter 40. And so when he says, put on your strength, he's saying, put me on. Let, turn, turn your attention to me again. Bring, bring, your, bring yourself back to me. Find your strength in me, your beautiful garments. So you're not going to be dirty and dusty. We're going to clean things up. We're going to remove that which is uncircumcised and unclean. So that's what happened as Cyrus lets the Hebrew people leave Babylon and go home. They move back into Jerusalem and the city becomes the capital of the nation of Israel once again. And so uh, that is fulfilled as Cyrus releases 
the, the captives. But ultimately, God's going to elevate the city of Jerusalem to the city of Zion, if you were, the, the, the utopian state. It's going to be a holy city set apart for God's purposes. We've talked throughout the book of Isaiah that during the millennial reign, when Jesus Christ comes back to rule the earth in a physical way on this, proper, on this planet for 1,000 years, the place that he will rule and reign from is the city of Jerusalem. And so we'll ultimately we'll see this um, fulfilled in that day. He says in verse 2, Shake yourself from the dust. Arise. Sit down. Arise. Sit, no, no, never mind. Is, Shake yourself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. He's telling the, the nation as they're captive in Babylon, you're going to go home and, and you need to get up out of the dust. It's time to quit wallowing in the mud. It's time to quit living in the sinful way. Get yourself dusted off, clean yourself up, sit down, at, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck. It's time to remove yourself from the captivity. And this is what's happened. He says, you've sold yourself for nothing. What was it that drove them to Babylon in the first place? It was idolatry. They had turned their backs. They had turned their hearts away from God, chasing after the things of this world and the, and the religion, the other religions that were around them. They had found solace in, in false gods and, and said, we'll, 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 make our, we'll make our gods, thank you very much. Right? And we went through that whole you know, small g gods on trial. Right? If you have to nail your god down, how good of a God is it? If you have to pick up your God from the God-making shop, how good of a God is it? If you have to pay for your God with gold and silver, if you, you, know, you, you make sure you get the right wood so you don't have a termite-infested God, you know, that, that, those were the questions that were being asked as we considered these things. Those are the things that, that Israel was chasing after. They had sold themselves, and, and an idol truly is nothing. And they had sold themselves for those idols. They had given themselves away for absolutely nothing. But the interesting line there at the end of verse 3 is, but you shall be redeemed without money. Now, the near fulfillment of that is in fact true, as Cyrus just simply released them to go home. He overtook them. There was no ex he overtook Babylon. There was no exchange of money and they were released to go home without there being any money paid. They took, he took Babylon captive and set the Israelites free. But how beautiful a picture as we understand what Christ has done on our behalf and that our, ultimately our souls our, have been redeemed, not with gold and silver, but with the greatest of Christ, with, the, with the, His blood. We're, we are redeemed without money. We've been bought by the blood of Christ. What would, it do, what would it gain a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul or forfeit his soul? And that's what the Israelites had done. And often that's what we do as well, selling ourselves for nothing, becoming slaves to sin. And we sell ourselves for nothing. But the beautiful picture is we are redeemed through the blood, without money. 
So verse 4 says, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. And so he's giving them a history of how many times they've been taken captive, right? First it was they they had to go to Egypt to kind of, and they were taken captive in Egypt. They were ex, there was an exodus out of Egypt, and now we're going to see almost a second exodus, if you would, out of the, the out of Babylon. The Assyrians had oppressed them without cause. Whenever we read about Egypt, whenever we read of Assyria or, or especially Babylon, we can just insert the world as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He brings us out of the world as well. So verse 5 says, Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. My, my, my people are taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them make them wail. It was a, a bitter situation to be captive in Babylon after they had chased after idols. And then it says there, in Babylon, it, w- it would have certainly been true. The name, his name, is blasphemed continually every day. I don't know if you work in a... Uh, godly environment or a secular environment or or what where you're at but i i've been in both and um it can be a wearing down thing to work in an environment where the name of god is continually used in vain um i've worked in some pretty dark places and i don't want to name any by name but it was just a difficult situation where you have a hundred people around you that none of them serve the lord you're the only light in that place and the name of god is blasphemed continually in that place it's it it wears your soul down it, 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 and it it's it's a great opportunity for us as believers in the light to to set our strength on him. And I would encourage, I'm not saying to get out of that situation. If you're in that situation, pray for more strength. But what, what amazes me is the long suffering of our God. Because as much as I would hear that in this environment each and every day, multiply that times millions all across the planet his name taken in vain. He hears every one of them. And, and yet he doesn't <laughs> sentence the, 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 you know, the world to wrath. We, have, we wake up, we woke up today. How many times was the name of the Lord blasphemed on the planet today? Probably billions. And he has the power to stop it. And yet he's long-suffering that hearts may be turned to him. It's a, it's a great picture of his grace. Um, sorry, my note just went black. Okay. So verse 6 again says, Therefore, my people shall know my name. Uh, therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Moses asks the question, 
to the voice coming from the burning bush. Who are you? And he says, I am. And what's interesting to note, as the nation of Israel is captive in Babylon, as we read the historical account throughout the Old Testament, we need to remember the people of God didn't know his name. They knew him to be I am. And they knew that but his, his actual name had been lost. And they, they shortened it to an abbreviation, the Tetragamatron, or however you say it. I forget the exact word. Do you know what it is? Is it Tetragram? Tetragrammaton? See, I was close. So what they did is they took the name of God and they removed the vowels because they wanted the name to remain holy and so they removed the vowels, and from that we get the, the, the abbreviation YHWH or Yahweh, that we, the way we would say it is as we insert the vowels that we believe were there, was the name Yahweh, which you can translate to Jehovah. And that's when, when you're reading throughout the Old Testament, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the tetra, yeah, thing. <laughs> and... And, and so that's the abbreviation that we know, but we don't, we didn't know his, the Old Testament, they don't know his name. And so when you read that verse, that's a, that's a shocking verse. My people shall know my name because as they were captive in Babylon, they didn't know his name. And yet a day was coming in which his name would become known. Well, when did that happen? When Jesus said, when, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, rather. If you, if you know me, you know the Father. We know the name of Jesus, so we know the name of God. So now we can say his name. Now we, can, we see this fulfilled, verse 6. The people, my people shall know my name. Verse 7. This is going to sound familiar. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's an interesting statement because there's no such thing as a beautiful foot. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the feet are, by nature are ugly. And so that, what is he saying? Are there, are there pretty feet out there? No, it's just, <laughs> that's my opinion. Okay, so, but the, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news? So it's not an actual, wow, you've got great feet because you're bringing good news. It's just like you have good feet because they're, you're using them to bring the good news. The good news that they were waiting upon was that Cyrus was going to be the one that brought salvation to the nation of Israel while they were captive in Babylon. God was going to use Cyrus to bring them. And that would be the good news that they were looking for, where he, he proclaims, your God reigns. But ultimately, we see this uh, theme picked up in the book of Romans. Paul quotes this, right? In Romans chapter 10, he says in verse 15 in Romans 10, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. 
For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Paul quotes this to say, not only was this a a statement for uh, Cyrus delivering him from the nation of Babylon, but also for the those that would carry, like it said, he he slightly modifies it, it to say, for those who preach the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, and and ultimately, while Cyrus delivered the nation of Israel, Christ is the one that delivers us, and that truly is the gospel of peace. Have all obeyed the gospel? No, we're certainly we see that. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, and we can testify as we share the gospel. There are those that don't believe our report. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Um, I said, in the same way the captive Israelites had to have faith that what Isaiah was writing would eventually come true. Remember, all of these things are prophetic. We have to exercise faith, believing the report that Jesus has rose from the grave. We have to believe the word of, word of God. That requires faith on our part. Faith is a, a belief in, in, in something that we can't necessarily fully understand. Those things that we can't fully see, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 would say. Um, it's always a good thing when you hang around with people that are much smarter than you, because you can usually learn a lot, and, that, and that's, so that's what I try to do. Um, so if I'm hanging out with you, that's a compliment, just so you know. <laughs> but uh, um, I had a buddy that for years and years, his name was Mike. Uh, Mike and I and his wife and my wife started a Bible study together many years ago. Mike was one of those guys that was just like smart, smart, painfully smart to be around. And uh, uh, But a solid Christian, loved the Lord, and um, he was smart in the sciences. Yeah, in fact, he works out at um, near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base working on molecular science things that are hidden by the government so we don't we he can't even talk about what he's working on um just crazy stuff i mean he's told me a little bit of some of the stuff he can tell me but he 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 understands um a, a lot about all different kinds of sciences but especially about biology and um and understands the uh evidence and the argument for evolution pretty well. Um, He doesn't believe it. Um, He believes in the creation account. But one of the things that he always told me that I found fascinating is he said, Chris, science will never be able to prove the creation account fully. Now we can find some support and evidences from from the things of this earth and, and to you go down to the Creation Museum, and there are supportive evidences there. But to actually be able to fully prove the creation account would remove the need for us to have faith to believe it. And so he believes, and this this is just him speaking. He believes that 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 science will never fully prove the creation account because our because of our faith. We need to have faith in order to believe the creation account. And so while we can find support, it was just a very interesting thing. And, and what, what he's saying here, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the same way Israel had to exercise faith that what Isaiah was writing was eventually going to come true. You and I need to have faith believing the report that Jesus rose from the grave, that the word of God is authoritative and true. It says in verse 8, Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back to Zion. They're going to see God eye to eye? Wow! Well, in Christ we can do that. In the Old Testament, God told Moses, No man shall see God and live. And yet in Christ, he says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can see him eye to eye. And, And then we know of a time, and we've talked about it in the millennial reign, when Christ will rule. We'll be able to go visit him. I'm sorry, that still blows my mind, you know? What are you doing Tuesday night? I'm flying to Jerusalem to have a Bible study with Jesus. Yeah, that's going to be cool. So, verse 9. Break forth into joy. Sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem, even the waste places, were to, to worship Him. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That word all there means all. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I like the the terminology there in verse 10. The Lord has made bare his holy arm. God is coming to our rescue. He's, he's rolling up his sleeves. He's, he's exercising his muscle. He's defending us. He's rescuing us. He's bearing that holy arm inside of all the nations. He's pulling his people unto him. And God's deliverance is for more than just the people of Israel. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. To, 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 to hold salvation to just the nation of Israel is too small for our big God. His plan is bigger than that. His love is bigger than that. His heart is bigger than that. That's too small a salvation. God's deliverance reaches the ends of the earth. God's deliverance reaches you and me. That's a glorious thought. He bears his arm on our behalf. We are comforted as his people. And the proper response in in seeing that is to break forth into joy and to sing together, as it says there in verse 9. It's for us to worship God. The proper response to seeing God bear his arm or defend us is to worship him, to break forth into song. We need to get over ourselves and our pride that would keep you from singing in this church. God commands that we are to sing unto him. And if the word of God tells us to do it, who are we to argue with it? I don't have a good voice. God doesn't care about that. He wouldn't wouldn't say, or if he did, he'd say, if you've got a good voice, sing unto me. He just simply says, sing unto him. When we see the redemption and and the... Uh, the work that God has done on our behalf, our obedience to Him, our response to Him is to sing unto Him. 
to proclaim his goodness. I like verse 11. Depart, depart. So it was awake, awake. It was listen, listen. Now it's depart, depart. It's time to go. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. He's telling the nation of Israel, as you go out of the city of, Bab- of, of the nation of Babylon, as you go out from that place, go out from there and touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean. You're, you're setting yourself apart. You're heading back to your city. You're, you're carrying the vessels of the Lord. They were going back to fill the temple again and to fulfill the, the things that they had been practicing as they've experienced his deliverance, then the command is to worship him and to live a holy life unto him, to, to touch no unclean thing. And my question is, have you experienced his deliverance? And I know you have. As you've been redeemed, the, the, the command then is the same, to leave the pattern of this world, to go out and to be holy and to be clean. I was sharing this with, our, with the guys last night at, at my... Um, Bible study uh, for the youth at dance, and um, just reminding them that Romans chapter 12 would say, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I asked them, and we talked about this as we went through the book of Romans as well, um, what is the pattern of this world? Well, the pattern of this world is, uh, we could name a whole bunch of things that it is. It's partying, it's, it's, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, it's, it's, you can name it. It's any sin. That's the pattern of this world. But if you were to sum it up into one thing, if you were to try to classify what the pattern of this world is, I think it's this. It's, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the pattern of this world. I'm the boss of my life. I'm the authority figure in my life. And whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what God is commanding us to break the pattern of. To no longer live with us as our boss. No longer live as us, with us as our chief. We're not the authority. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind is to say, I'm no longer the authority in my life. God and his word are the authority in my life. And so when God tells me to do something, i.e. sing unto the Lord, I'm going to do it. And when God tells me to live a holy life, I'm going to do it. He becomes my authority. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. They were, it was talking about carrying the instruments back to the temple, but consider that in the New Testament context. You and I are the vessels of the Lord. We hold the Lord inside of us. So certainly, we should go out and touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her. Does that mean we don't we live in a bubble until he returns that we you know we, it's it's uh, the the Christian aquarium that you know we're we're inside the is that the right term we're in a bubble you know No the answer is no because we're to be in the world but not of the world we should leave a, leave the pattern of this world and yet still be light unto this world We should live differently so that people can see a difference in our lives and want what we have. We become those who have the beautiful feet carrying the gospel. Verse 12, we actually used to sing a song. Uh, We haven't done it in a long time. 
uh, with Isaiah 55, verse 12 in it. Uh, It says, you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. God is going to go with you. You're not coming out in haste. You're called to be clean, but I'm going with you, God is saying. Uh, The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be be your rear guard. Just as he brought them out of Egypt, right, as they wandered in the wilderness, they had the pillar of fire by day, or pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night to to guide them. They had the front guard and the rear guard. God took care of them. And as he's bringing them out of Exodus in that way, so he's so, or out of Egypt in that way in the Exodus, so too he's bringing them out of Babylon. And he's telling them, I've got you. I'll, I'll cover you. I'll be your front guard. I'll be your rear guard. And then you apply it to the Christian life as well. And, and the promise remains the same. So to answer the question that we began with at the beginning of last week, has God forgotten about us? Because... As much as the captive in Babylon asked that question, when the storms of our life rise, we can ask that question as well. God, where are you? You know, it seems like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul is is thirsty for you, Lord. And where are you, God? I've lost sight of you. We can ask the same question the captive of Babylon was asking. Has God forgotten about us? And as we read through chapter 51, as we read through chapter 52, the overwhelming answer is no. No, he has not forgotten about us. He is our front guard. He is our rear guard. In between Egypt and the promised land, was the wilderness. That's where you and I are right now. In between Egypt, where they were captive, and when they entered into the promised land, was 40 years of the wilderness. That's where we're walking today, you and I. We've left Egypt. We've left the world. We're not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. We're not a part of the world anymore. We're in it, but not of it. But we haven't yet reached the promised land when we will be with him forevermore. And so you and I wander in the wilderness. Well, what did the Israelites happen, have in the wilderness? He had, they had the front guard. They had the rear guard. They had the pillar of fire. They had the cloud covering. They had him with them all the time, just like you and I do as we walk in our wilderness until we see him face to face. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to end there because... As we get into the next verses, those are really almost pickup verses for chapter 53, and we'll combine them all together as we read about the suffering servant next week. Okay, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, God, for your love for us, and that you don't leave us alone. You never leave us or forsake us. As you delivered the nation of Israel from the Egyptians, so too you delivered them from their captivity in Babylon, and you brought them home, Lord, you have delivered us from our sin, from our worldly experiences, from us pursuing idols. You've redeemed us. You've bought us back with blood, the blood that you shed on the cross that we might have everlasting life. 
You've set before us the promise of that promised land when we shall be with you forevermore in heaven on high. Until then, the beautiful thing is, while we are your vessels, you dwell inside of us. Jesus, you told us that you were sending the helper, the one who would come alongside the Holy Spirit, who dwells in our hearts as we walk this life day to day, so that we can answer our own question of, God, have you left me? With a resounding no. And we thank you for that promise. We thank you for holding us in your hand. We ask that you go before us from this place, that you would help us to be your witnesses unto this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.